Good morning. Marriage must be really hard because the divorce rate in our country is pretty substantial. Uh, those who are first time married, the divorce rate is between 42 and 45 percent of marriages. So the conclusion is marriage must be really hard, uh, that people are divorcing from one another so often. Uh, this is the world we live in, right? This is our society right now, uh, that the answer to problems is to get a divorce. We're going to be talking about divorce. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 5 uh, and going through the Sermon on the Mount and understanding different parts of that sermon. Uh, we've talked a lot about relationships. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but uh, throughout this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he seems to really focus in on our relationships with one another. He says, don't be angry with one another. And he condemns being angry. It's not about murder, it's about anger. Uh, and then he says, don't lust after someone who's not your spouse with the lustful intent. Uh, and if you do that, you're already committing adultery with her in your heart. Well, let's, let's start into the next section and let's start to understand what he says here. Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 5. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here he starts out pointing to a teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. That this is what is being said to those who are listening, to those who are on that sermon with him. That whoever divorces his wife just needs to give her a certificate of divorce. Hmm. Is that it? Is that all that's required? That, that kind of sounds much like us today, doesn't it? I mean, you want a divorce? You Google divorce. The first advertisement that will pop up on top is, here's your divorce for $300. You fill out this paperwork, you get your divorce, and you go on your merry way. Is that what God desires? Is that the way that it should be? Well, it's the way that it was in the first century. This is the way the Jews handled things. Uh, there were actually two views on divorce in the first century. The first view was uh, essentially, uh, it's not okay to get a divorce unless your spouse commits adultery and then they command you to get a divorce. You must get a divorce in that case. And the other view, that is obviously the most popular view at that time, is that we can divorce our spouse for any reason. But we must give her a certificate of divorce. Well, where did these views come from? How did they develop this, this, this polarity, this, these different views in their religious practices and their, their understanding of divorce? Well, it all came from Deuteronomy chapter 24. If you go back to Deuteronomy 24, you don't have to, we're not going to read it, but if you go back there, what you're going to see in the law of Moses there in the first four verses is Moses essentially laying out some circumstances. And he says, if a, if a man marries a woman... And if he finds some indecent thing in her, and if he gives her a certificate of divorce, and if she marries another man, and if that other man finds something indecent in her, and he gives her a certificate of divorce, or if he uh, dies, then, then, notice all the ifs, then if she were to return to the first husband, 
That would be a defilement of the land, an abomination before the Lord. That whole first, those first four verses of Deuteronomy 24 are laying out a circumstance where a husband uh, and wife have divorced and he, she's married someone else and then she is trying to go back to the man and God says, uh-uh, no. He's setting a boundary. You cannot go back to the first husband. You know, that's, that's it. That's all that we have about divorce in the Old Testament. So we know this is, uh, in, in the law specifically, we know this is where these interpretations of the law are coming from, that they're coming from this text. And the, the question that's being debate, debated from that text is, what is this certificate of divorce and what is this indecent thing that he finds in her? God never... Uh, uh, commands someone to divorce their spouse. He never commands it. In all the scriptures, someone commits adultery, they're actually supposed to be stoned if two or three witnesses see that. Uh, and, and so, or they are to be taken, you can take your wife to the priest and you can stay, I think that she's been unfaithful, and then they can determine something and, and God will curse the woman if she has been unfaithful. And that, that's the scenario of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. But here we have this situation where a husband has given a wife a certificate of divorce. Well, what is that about? You know, why is that happening? Well, it's probably much like we read earlier, Matthew uh, chapter 1, whenever Joseph finds out Mary has a baby and he wants to be merciful to her. He wants to divorce her so that she can actually remarry again and, and, and not bring her before or, you know, not have some big show about it. It seems as though it's a more merciful thing. We're going to give her a certificate of divorce and then she can go and marry another. And so the question, though, that's in the minds of everyone is, what is the indecent thing? Is it, is it adultery? That's, what, that's the way some people have read that. Some of the Jews have read that. And if it's, if it's adultery, then the Jews have come to the determination that you must divorce your spouse. And then other Jews have, have got a different idea about the indecent thing. Listen to some of the things that they've come up with. Uh, Ecclesiasticus, who wrote about 150 B.C., 150 years before Christ was born, a Jew. Uh, this is what he said about divorce. He commanded the Jews to divorce their wives if she won't do what you tell her to do. That's the indecent thing. How do you like that, guys? She better listen to me or else I'm going to divorce her, okay? That's the way that he, he talked about divorce. Uh, the Mishnah points to other things. It, it says that uh, he is allowed to divorce his wife if she is barren, if, if there is some physical defect in her, like one eye is higher than the other, or poor posture, or thinning hair. If she burns the meat, <laughs> he can divorce her. Or if the man finds someone else to be prettier, he can divorce her. Well, that sounds like a great... Uh, society to live in, doesn't it? Uh, so this is the indecent thing. There's all this debate about what is this indecent thing. And, and essentially that's the determination that, that all these Jews are trying to make is what is that indecent thing? And the popular view is it is anything that the man finds in the woman that he doesn't like about her. Now, it doesn't go the opposite way in that culture. Uh, women are not so easily able to divorce 
their husband. It's, it's a lot more difficult. Uh, and, and so the man who finds some indecent thing in his wife would give her a certificate of divorce and that would be something that ought to be done because that is, that is merciful and that is righteous and, and you are now allowing her to go off and to marry someone else. So this is what is said by the Jews at that time. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Don't hold that back from her. Give her a certificate of divorce so that she can go and marry someone else. Don't don't hold it back from her. Don't make her tied to you and then not support her anymore because you don't want her as a wife. Give her freedom. Let her go off and marry someone else. And this is the way that they viewed divorce. That's how it works. That's how God set up. Divorce. But, let's see what Jesus says. Verse 32. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here Jesus addresses this issue and he makes it very clear what the indecent thing is. It's obviously a reference to sexual immorality. That's what what it's all about. He finds something that is uh, sexually immoral in the spouse. That is the exception. But notice the way he says this. Everyone who divorces his wife except for the ground of that makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The way he talks about divorce is not that if you want to divorce your spouse, you must give her a certificate of divorce. And it's not that you can divorce for any particular reason that you want to come up with, but that it is is unlawful. You You are creating a situation where your spouse is committing adultery. That that's the way he views divorce. This is this is acting in a way that is violent against our spouse. We're hurting our spouse when we, when we give them a divorce, a certificate of divorce. And we might think, you know, they might think, well, I gave them a certificate, I gave them freedom to go off and do other things. I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm doing what's good and right. I'm a, I'm a gracious husband. But Jesus says, no, that certificate does not free you or them from the vows that you have made with one another. Jesus and God hold those marriage vows to be extremely important. Way more important than the Jews are making them out to be. And way more important than our society makes them out to be. You see, a piece of paper doesn't clear us of the vows that we've made. When we're standing before the the judge, standing before the preacher, standing before whoever has been ordained to marry us, and we say before all of these witnesses that we will love, honor, and cherish this person in sickness and in health till death do us part, before God who joins us together, a piece of paper doesn't cancel and and nullify all of that. That's not the way that it works. Imagine for a second that that you're, you're saying your vows 
And in your vows, you include the stipulations that you have in mind that, that it's going to pop up later. You know, all these reasons that are being given for our divorces, right? Uh, we can't agree on money. We can't communicate. Uh, we, we don't agree on raising our kids. Um, he gained too much weight. <laughs> he won't get a job. Uh, he, he's, 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 doing, he's not meeting up to my expectations. She's not meeting up to my expectations for intimacy, for, for sex, or all those kind of things. Imagine now, we're here before all these witnesses, and here we go. I promise, I vow to love, honor, and cherish you in, okay, not sickness, but definitely in health. <laughs> I mean, how romantic is this? Uh, as long as we agree about money, and as long as you meet all of my physical needs, I will love, honor, and cherish you till, till death. But if you mess up, then this, this contract is void. Imagine that. How romantic is that? <laughs> we don't want any part of that relationship, do we? That's not what we're looking for when we enter into the relationship, that it would have all these stipulations. But, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like kids who make up the rules to the game as they go because they're losing. We make up things and make edits to our vows, stipulations to get us out of this situation that we don't like. Because marriage is a lot of work. You know, the, the wedding day is the happiest day. Do you know why that is? Because we're making promises at that point. There's nothing like hearing somebody else make a promise that they're going to love me. In the good times, in the bad times, they're going to they're be there. They're going to take care of me. They're going to they're be with me. We're going to enjoy life together. There's nothing like that. It's, it's so wonderful. But then and the next day... We have to fulfill those vows that we make. And in the next year, we still are expected to fulfill the vows that we've made. To love, honor, and cherish our spouse whenever things aren't so fun. So marriage is really just setting ourselves up to do a lot of work for somebody else. That's the way we need to be viewing marriage. This is what we're entering into. We're entering into a commitment to work hard to serve someone else for the rest of our lives. Jesus says that if we think divorce is, is no big deal, we're missing something. We're doing something that is actually evil. Notice the difference between this and like Matthew 19. He doesn't say everyone who divorces his wife commits adultery uh, or that they, whenever they marry somebody they commit adultery. He doesn't even point to the person who divorces his wife. He says the one who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery. The focus is that we are doing a great evil toward this person who is our neighbor, who is our closest companion by causing them to sin. We are forcing them into a situation where they are likely going to commit adultery and be in rebellion against God because they're still bound to the husband that has given them a certificate of divorce freeing them. We have deceived them into thinking that they're free of their obligations and their marriage vows, when in fact they are not. Unless that certificate has joined with it 
Sexual immorality has now occurred and I am done. That's the only way that that's okay. Divorce for any reason is not accepted by Jesus and it is not accepted by God. Now there's a number of implications that go with this. Uh, and it's, it's sad that as we read through this and we start thinking about our society and the things that are going on around us, um, that we realize this, is, this has just been so messed up all around us in the way that the world views marriage and divorce. But let's, let's make sure we understand some very important fundamental ideas that Jesus is giving us here. First of all, God's people, he's been talking about God's people throughout the Sermon on the Mount, God's people keep their marriage vows. If I want to be a child of God, if I'm, I'm going to be blessed by God, I'm poor in spirit, I'm, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness, part of that righteousness is keeping the vows that I have made to love, honor, and cherish my spouse in sickness and health and in richer, poorer, good times, bad times, till death do us part. And this is my attitude toward life, that a large portion of my life is working toward that goal of fulfilling those vows to my spouse. And the picture that's given to us by Jesus is that divorce, for any reason, results in more and more sin. And so it makes sense to us that, to say God hates divorce. And this is what God actually told his people back in the book of Malachi. He made it very clear in Malachi, about 400 years before, <clears throat> before Jesus came, that this was his feelings toward uh, unfaithfulness like this. Just trading your wife for someone else is not okay to God. It's never been okay to God. Uh, back in Malachi, he says, this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So here he pictures Israel coming and, and weeping and groaning, saying, please, Lord, hear us. Please give us blessings. Please uh, fulfill your covenant to love us and, and to be our God. And he says they're weeping because they realize God doesn't hear, hear them. Well, why does God not hear their, their please? Verse 14 because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in the spirit and do not be faithless. Some translations say in that text, uh, instead of covering his garment with violence, it says God hates divorce. The picture of covering your garment in violence is very much like what Jesus says, that you are being violent towards your spouse. And God hates oppression toward those who are uh, lower, or oppression towards those we have power over in some way. And so that's essentially what we're doing. We are oppressing, we are hurting, we are harming our spouse by forcing them into a situation where they might 
commit adultery. You see, the picture that God gives us is that He desires for His people to be faithful, to be loving, to be compassionate, to be caring toward their spouse, to fulfill those roles that they have been given in marriage. And the picture is is exemplified throughout Scripture. You've got Abraham and his relationship with Sarah. He doesn't abandon Sarah whenever she's barren. And you see Zechariah do the same thing. Zechariah in in Luke chapter 1, he is faithful to his spouse. And it's one of the things that's listed about him. Even in their old age, he is not uh, uh, divorcing his spouse because she's barren. He remains faithful to her. And God sees that faithfulness, and so he decides to bless Zechariah with a son named John, who is the forerunner for Jesus. He rewards those who are faithful to their spouses. This is what he wants to see in his people. People who love their spouse. People who have a heart that desires to do good for their spouse. And so this is the way we must view our spouse, according to what this says. We need a completely different mentality toward them than the mentality of the world around us. The world around us sees spouses as disposable. I had a friend who uh, got married to someone else. They were both going to Baptist church and uh, both raised going to Baptist church. She had no clue that the Bible taught this about divorce. And they're married and she, they're fighting a lot, and then somebody mentions that to her, and she shows, I had no clue about that. And, and they had to work that out and help her understand, yes, this was a commitment that is intended to be for life. There is no divorce, no way out of it. And she may have been joking about divorce or thinking about it in some way, and that is the way the world thinks about marriage, that we can just get a divorce, and then everything will be fine, because I'll find somebody else who will make me happy and fix all these problems in my life. But the one who wants to please God doesn't look at their marriage this way. We don't think about divorce as being even an option. We don't hate our spouse. And we don't, we don't wish ill for our spouse. Uh, I, I also knew another uh, young lady who uh, her husband was a slob and doing all kinds of, you know, just being mean and, and not being respectful or responsible in any way. And she wanted to get out of it. And so she starts trying to work in such a way that he commits adultery so that she can divorce him. Now, is that what God wants? Is that tricking God somehow, uh, going around the rules, finding a loophole so that you can go off and marry somebody else? Does God not know exactly what's in our heart? He knows that we're, we're setting up our spouse for failure. Is he happy with that? Jesus makes it clear here. It's not okay. We are making them commit adultery, and even more than that, we're making the one that they end up with commit adultery. We are setting up other people for failure. We are not loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's the second greatest commandment. And we're not doing the first commandment. We're not showing we love God. If we really love God, we would love our neighbor. And we would especially love our spouse. I love the way uh, the proverb writes it, writer puts it. Uh, in Proverbs 26, 24 through 27, he says, Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. 
Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts rolling it. We start thinking we can set up our spouse for failure. We start pursuing the harm of our spouse. We're going to hurt ourselves. Because God has joined us together so that what hurts our spouse is ultimately hurting us. And if we're pursuing harm for our spouse, we are causing harm to ourselves. We're hurting our life. We're making our life miserable. But if we instead choose to love our spouse, we choose to be faithful to our spouse, to, to instead of giving them disrespectful judgments, instead of having angry outbursts, instead of lying to them and and mistreating them or doing the annoying habits that we know they can't stand, if we stop doing those things and we start meeting their needs sacrificially, then that changes the whole dynamic of our relationship and makes it to where we are growing love for one another. You know, it's possible to be more in love as time goes on than you were when you dated. It's possible. A lot of people don't think that. They think whenever you're old, that feeling just goes away. And, and consequently, a lot of people say, uh, I, I'm not in love with him anymore. And therefore, it's okay to get a divorce. That's a reason for divorce. How do you affair-proof your marriage? How do you divorce-proof your marriage? You have to stay so in love with one another. That the idea of being apart kills you. And the idea of being with someone else disgusts you. You have to build the love by meeting the needs of your spouse. And it may be that at first your spouse doesn't meet your needs. Whatever those needs are that your spouse has, you have to figure that out and you have to meet those needs and then hope and, and, and learn how to communicate your needs and hope that they respond in kind, and that love grows, and eventually we become in love, and we are infatuated with one another, and we're madly in love with one another, and the relationship can grow from there. This is God's desire for marriage, uh, that it would be this way. And if there's those here this morning who are divorced, uh, I want to I want to speak to you for just a second. And if you're divorced or if you're single. Uh, it's very important to understand that this is not the most important relationship that you have. The most important relationship is the one that we have with God. And if, if you are divorced and in a situation where you cannot remarry, uh, I want to encourage you to, to realize that singleness is not intended to be a hindrance to you. That is not the end of life. I, uh, we were teaching somebody in West Palm who... They had divorced their spouse, and it wasn't for sexual morality. And they had come to the determination that they couldn't get remarried, and they're just, they're, they're demoralized. And so they go off and read all kinds of other books to find other ways to look at that scripture so that they can marry somebody else, and then they go off and they marry somebody, and they end up just ignoring what's said here. Now, the picture is, is that singleness is a horrible life. It's just the worst life you could possibly live. 
But that's not at all what we see in Scripture, that Paul says he is single, and he sees that as an opportunity to glorify God, to live for God, to do more for God than he ever could if he was tied to someone else. And the way society has us thinking about marriage is all messed up. We think marriage is the most important thing in our lives. But it's not. It's not the most important thing. If it was the most important thing, then we would remain married after this life. And we would be getting married if we weren't married after this life. Jesus tells us there is no marriage. Nobody's given in marriage after this life. Because marriage is not the most important thing. And in fact, the disciples, whenever they learn this teaching, and they understand the seriousness of making the marriage vow and keeping it, they say, it may be better not to get married. And that may be the case for some of you here who are single. Uh, So we need to understand the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here, the seriousness of marriage, but also That marriage is not the end. It is not the be-all. It is not going to solve all of our problems and and make us eternally happy. It is is a blessing and it can result in happiness. But ultimately, it is a lot of work. And it's not for everybody. So, as we study this together, uh, we need to think about marriage and understand what marriage is. I found this this quote and I kind of adjusted it a little bit because I thought it was a little too theological. But... um, This is what it said, marriage is a human illustration of the divine relationship. That's what marriage is. It is a human illustration of the divine relationship. This is the way we must view marriage. You see God, you see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You see them united, you see them made one, that they are one. And God intends for us to join together with a a spouse And to experience that oneness that we might understand the closeness, the relationship, the commitment, the work that is done to maintain that commitment in our marriages. And so that's what marriage ultimately is. And if if we've been blessed with a period of marriage in our lives, then hopefully we can see and understand a little bit better the divine relationship. Because that is ultimately what it has been given to us for. If we love God... Uh, we, we see marriage as something that uh, is lifelong. Uh, we don't think that divorce is an option. It's something Jenna told me before we got married. She said, in my mind, divorce is not an option. Now, we, we both knew the exception clause was in there. But the way she viewed marriage, and, and I loved it, is that I'm in this till the end. And I'm not divorcing you, period. That's not, that's not even an option in my mind. And that, that quickly was removed from being an option in my mind, which it wasn't really. But, okay, that's it. We're done. This is the one. So we want to nurture our relationships. We want to help them to be a benefit to us, to be a blessing to us, and not to be a hindrance. We want to work together through all of our problems. We want to encourage one another to communicate. Because the truth is, as we're married, our personalities change. We become different people and we need to keep up with each other and still be in love with the person that we're married with as they go through the changes of life. Uh, because it's not about who they were, it's about who they are. And the commitment we make is to be with them as they change and as life changes with us. And they made that same commitment to us and it's supposed to be a blessing. Well, the most wonderful blessing we have is that we have a relationship with a God 
who is more faithful than any human uh, could ever be. We have a relationship uh, that, that says that he will be with us in every struggle, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, and that in the end, when all the, all the world has turned against us, he will still be by our side, and he will take us to be with him for all eternity. If you understand the love that God has for you and you want to enter into that relationship this morning, we want to help you with that. Uh, if you are in that relationship and you are not being as faithful as you ought to be, if maybe you're not loving your spouse as you ought to be, or maybe you're struggling with some other sin in your life, and there's something we can do to encourage you, uh, will you let us help you with that? Please come as we stand and as we sing.